Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. I want to tell you my, my voice. Uh, I, lo- I lost my voice yesterday. I found it. I located it. <clears throat> this morning, I uh, woke up with not much of it working, and this is my third service. So sorry, but you get the last part of my voice, and then I'm done. Um, I really appreciate it if you'd pray while, while I'm preaching. I want to welcome all of you that are joining us online and from all of our campuses. Uh, I'm pretty excited because in two weeks I get the opportunity to teach live at the Richmond Rosenberg campus. I don't get to do that very often, just uh, once or twice a year, and it's going to be happening in two weeks, and it's going to be a lot of fun. There's so many people at the Richmond Rosenberg campus I've spent 20 years with in this church, and they've become such great friends, and I miss seeing them, and it's going to be a great opportunity to be there. I I want to uh, do a special shout out to all of you who are worshiping with us online. It's just amazing to me, this whole online thing and how uh, we're back. Uh, We've been back a long time, but we still have between 1,600 and 2,000 people that are worshiping with us online. And it's from everywhere. It's from all over the country. It's from many different countries. And uh, I don't know your journey and how you came to find uh, Sugar Creek, but I'm so grateful that you did. I want to do a special shout out to a, a handful of people, Sharon and Barbara from Fresno. You're with us almost every Sunday, and we're so grateful for you. Laura in Tennessee and uh, Cynthia in Detroit, and we welcome you, and Kevin from White Bear Lake in Minnesota. Kevin, I've been thinking about where you are, and so I decided to check your weather coming up. And I discovered that on Thanksgiving Day, your high is 34. And when I saw that it's 34, I decided I would not tell you that our high on Thanksgiving in Houston is 65. I decided just not to bring it up because I thought it'd be kind of discouraging. And I also discovered that next week, the week after Thanksgiving, you got snow coming. So it's going to be a whole lot of fun. It looks like winter has reached Minnesota. But in Nigeria, Walter is there and uh, it's going to be 91 degrees on Thanksgiving Day. And I realize Thanksgiving is an American holiday, but I think everybody could, could celebrate Thanksgiving. It is simply giving thanks to God for everything he's done in our life and all the blessings he's given to us. And I want to encourage all of you to be thinking Thanksgiving and giving thanks to the Lord for all he has done in and through our lives. We began last week a new series. It's a small series, a short series on worship is, talking about what worship is actually about. Last week, as we began it, we discovered that worship is actually surrender, that the more we surrender the Lord to the Lordship of God in our life, the more we give of ourselves and surrender to him, the deeper our worship is. This morning, I want to take worship from a different direction, and I think it's going to be a real surprise. 
Jesus said in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But what in the world is worshiping God in spirit and truth? What does that, that even mean? Well, to worship God in spirit and truth is really not about where we worship him. It's really not about what kind of music. Is it traditional or is it, is it uh, contemporary music? It's not about the kind of music that we, we worship him with. It isn't actually about singing at all. The truth is that God wants us to worship him with our heart. To worship God in spirit is to worship him in our heart. He wants us to worship him from inside, where our spirit touches his spirit, where our heart touches his heart. So that when we sing, when we are worshiping in that form and it talks about loving God, that we're really saying it to God, not just about him. But talks about the greatness and the glory of God. We're really singing that to him instead of singing about him. It is what it means to worship in spirit. And to worship in truth, we are worshiping who God is, who his, what his nature is. God is worthy of our worship. And we are worshiping him because of who he is, his name, his power, his glory, his goodness, and his holiness. True worship comes from surrendering ourselves to God. But there's a second part of true worship. True worship is getting ourselves prepared before we ever arrive to this place. I think that's a surprise. I think most people, when they come to worship, they just come to worship. They don't get ready, they don't get prepared. They come, they show up, okay, now I'll get into the mood of worship. But actually, the Bible talks about getting ready for worship long before we ever arrive. There's a story in the Old Testament that is about that. In the Old Testament, there was a king named Ahaz, and he was a terrible king. He, he turned the hearts of the whole Jewish people. You can I, I somehow how, can't even imagine this kind of thing, but he turned their hearts away from God to worshiping other idols. And in fact, that temple that had been built to God he used it as a garbage dump. He encouraged everyone, take your garbage into the holy of holies, into the holy place, out in the courtyard, just fill it up with garbage, and that's exactly what they did. I can't even fathom that, can you? Ahaz had a son who at 25 years of age became the king because Ahaz died, God took Ahaz out of the picture. 
That king that was his 25-year-old son was a man named Hezekiah. And it turned out he was one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. Hezekiah loved the Lord. Even though his dad didn't, even though his dad was so horrible, Hezekiah loved God. And suddenly his dad was out of the picture. And now Hezekiah, as a 25-year-old young man, now took charge. Now I want you to see what he does in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3 to 5. In the first year of Hezekiah's reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Now stop for a moment. Here is Hezekiah, and in the first month, he didn't have this in his pecking order for my first five years. It's going to be one of my goals to, to get the, uh, the temple back to where it should be and start worshiping in the temple. It wasn't a five-year plan. It was a one-month plan. He said, this will be the first thing we do. We're going to turn the hearts of our people back to the Lord God Almighty. And so in the first month that he becomes the new king, he has the doors of the temple repaired, and he has the house of God open. Verse 4, then he brought in all the priests and the Levites, and he gathered them in the east square. And he said to them, hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Now, notice the word sanctify. He says to these, these Levites were the people, the priests that were in charge of the, of the temple. He says, I want you to sanctify yourself. I want you to get yourself together. And then I want you to sanctify this house of God. Now, all of these things that he's calling sanctify just means carry out the garbage. Before we ever worship, we got to clean up ourselves. We got to clean up this place. So now we can worship God from a clean heart. He is saying that to us as well. What holds us together at Sugar Creek is that we're not in common. I mean, we've, we're from every country you can imagine, every language you can imagine. We at this church are from so many places, it is amazing that we come together. But do you know why we come together? We come together out of a mutual love for God. Amen? We love God. We have a mutual love for Jesus Christ. He is the one that holds us together. We have a mutual love for the Word of God. God, you tell us what you want us to do, and the answer is yes. We open up your Word, and we together, from all places around the world and all backgrounds around the world, what brings us together is a mutual love for Jesus Christ, a mutual love for His Word, and a mutual love for his purpose, his mission. It has brought us together. Now, as we come together, here is what God says to us. Worship involves personal preparation. I think that is a brand new concept, maybe for many in this room right now. That worship isn't actually about singing, it's about partly getting ready in our hearts before we ever show up. Hezekiah said to the Levites, now sanctify yourselves. Don't you show up 
We're not going to meet to worship yet until you get the garbage out of your own life. And we're not going to meet for worship until you get the garbage out of this temple. You clean it up. You make it ready to now come together to worship God. And by the way, that is what God is telling us to do as well. What I'm going to talk about this morning is what you do before you even show up. We're getting ourselves ready to come before the Lord. Now, this temple in, in Hezekiah's time was just a building. And the only thing that separated this building from every other building is that the Holy Spirit of God indwelt that Holy of Holies. He's the one that, that brought, that sanctified it to, to God. It has the Holy Spirit of God in it. That's what made it different. You know what makes you different? You have the Holy Spirit of God, the same Holy Spirit of God inside of you. The New Testament tells us that we are now the temple. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. The word sanctify means to get the garbage out and set apart our heart to worship God. So there's four key things that I want us to talk about this morning. First of all, before we even come into the time of worship in this church, the first thing is we've got to get the garbage out of our life. I know there's some people who say, well, that's why I'm going to church. When I get to church, I'll then start getting convicted about my sins and I'll get the garbage out. But the Bible actually says, get the garbage out before you even get here. Listen to what he says in Psalm 24, verses three to five. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Now understand what he's describing in this verse. The hill of the Lord is that temple. Who will ascend to the hill of the Lord and who will stand in his holy place? That's the temple. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Before you even approach the temple, he says, I want you to already get the garbage out of your life. How do we translate that today in our setting? Before we even arrive to worship God in this place, we have a time of getting the garbage out of our own life. We clean up our act. We go to God and say, God, I want to ask you, please forgive me of all my gossip. Please forgive me of all my anger. Please forgive me of my lust. Please, Father, forgive me of, of the things that I'm doing, the materialism in my life, the things I'm doing against other people. God, I want my heart to be clean before I ever reach the time of worship. So here's what I'm asking. Before you come next Sunday, before you tune in online, before the service begins, would you spend some time alone with God and say, God, I got to get garbage out of my life. I want to get my heart cleaned up. I want to get my life cleaned up before I enter into the presence of God. The first thing is to get the garbage out. Second of all, before you arrive, get your heart right with your family members and others. Listen to what he says. Jesus is the one speaking this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar. Now, the altar would be the temple. Before you even present your offering at the temple, 
and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave there your offering at the altar, go and reconcile with your brother and then come back. Now think about what Jesus is saying. You remember that your brother has something against you. Now the brother or the sister he's talking about are probably spiritual brother and spiritual sister. It's somebody else, some, some other person in your in, in your life, but it could be your natural born brother or sister. Could be a family member. It could be a spouse. It could be the kids or the parents or anybody else in your family. It could be another individual. And here's what he's saying. You remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Why would that person have something against you? Because you did something. There is a break in relationship and it's probably your fault. Now, Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 talks about the same scenario in reverse. Now you have something against your brother because that person has wounded you. And his solution is the same in both cases. Here, you have hurt somebody else. What do you do? You're to go and get it right with your brother. Or that brother, that person has done something to you. You're supposed to do exactly the same thing. Doesn't make any sense, does it? How is it that if I've done something against somebody, I got to go get it right. And if they've done something against me, they ought to go get it right. But that's not what he said. He says, you, in both cases, go get it right. You know why? Because you're the Christian. Because you are the follower of Christ. And so you put the two together, and here it is. I have someone that I'm at odds with. Whether it's my fault or their fault or whoever's fault it is, I remember I got somebody in my life, and there is a broken relationship with that person. He says, before you go to church, go get it right with that person. Okay, Mark, do I, I mean, I take that seriously? Oh, you bet you do. I can't tell you the number of times that in my adult life that on Saturday, here I'm getting ready to preach and God brings that verse back to me and he says, "Uh uh-uh, don't you think you're gonna get up and preach and you got a problem with somebody else, you gotta go get that problem right. And you have no idea the number of Saturday phone calls. I gotta get my heart right, I gotta get ready to preach. I gotta get it right with somebody and maybe it's my fault and I gotta apologize and admit it or it's their fault and I've gotta bring it to them and say, hey, I want us to get along. Did you know that if we did that, uh, we'd have short accounts with everybody. Our family wouldn't have time to get bitter because by every weekend we're getting it right again. This is, by the way, why you cannot fight on your way to church. But they're never in the car on time. You have no idea what I put up with. You can't fight on the way to church. Because if you are, you need to park in the parking lot and get it right before you walk in.
Now, let me give you an application of this, a story that happened for me. I was a pastor of a church and it was just a fantastic church. It was uh, uh, several years ago. It was just a great church. But what they didn't tell me, the pastor search committee didn't tell me is they'd fired the pastor before me. And there were two factions in the church that were fighting each other. They did say that we've got a few problems, but they didn't actually mention just how deep it was. That's pretty normal. So I got there and I find out they're fighting. Now, I don't know the depth of it. I don't understand because they're trying to hold all that back. When I go to a new church, you know what I do? I try to, I try to uh, uh, put together like one year of where are we going in the sermons and, and help people know who I am, what my theology is, where I'm going uh, as a pastor of this church. So I sort of put together the game plan of what I'm going to teach. But when I got to that church, I couldn't get any peace at all about any game plan. I felt totally exposed. I, can't, I don't know where I'm going. I couldn't believe it. God would only give me the peace of one week at a time, and it was always the subject of go get the problems you've got with somebody else fixed. Go get yourself fixed. Go get your relationship with someone else fixed. Here's how you deal with someone that you have a broken relationship with. Now, I didn't preach that sermon just twice or three times. I'm now on week six. Week six is the only thing I get any peace about. How do you deal with a broken relationship? And I even argued with God about it. I, was, I said to him, they're going to think I don't know any other subject. It's been the whole first six weeks of being here. They're going to think, what's wrong with this guy? I kept telling God this. He only gave me peace to talk about how do you repair a broken relationship. I'm on six, week six. Now, there's only one service. It's at 11 o'clock at 930 during Sunday school, I'm in my office and I'm going over my message one more time before I get up and preach. And all of a sudden there is a knock at the door, my office door. I open the door and it's an elderly man. And I said, come on in. And he said to me, I give up. I said, what? He said, I give up. I said, I don't know what, it, you know, what that means. He said, I can take two sermons or three sermons on getting along with other people and getting my relationship right. But we're on week six and I just can't take it anymore. Now, I thought he was coming in to complain to me and say, I'm asking you to go to another subject. That wasn't what he was saying. He was saying, I have come to the place to believe you're never going to preach on another topic until I get my life right. I'm the reason for all of this, and I've come to the conclusion of it. Now, that's what he was saying. Yeah. He was saying, I'm, you're never going to preach on another subject, and look, I can't take anymore. So I surrender. And then he went on to explain, there is a woman in this church I despise. She is so bad about this and so bad about that. And for years, they had passed each other in the hallway and they didn't even acknowledge each other's presence. They both did not like each other. 
And he said to me, I've come to a conclusion. We're never going to get to another subject until I get my heart right with this woman. So he said, I've come in. I'm surrendering. You win. Tell me how to fix the relationship. So we walked down. Okay, here's what you do. And I gave him several points, four or five points. Here's how you do it. He said, consider it done. Walked out and he found that woman and he asked, would you go into this classroom that's empty and I want to have a conversation. And he admitted to her, I have not treated you well. I have not liked you. We've had a problem. I am just as much at fault as you are. I'm coming and apologizing to you. I'm asking you to forgive me. She broke down in tears and she said, I am just as wrong as you are. I am so sorry. And they hugged each other and they got their relationship fixed. And on week seven, I'm still back to how do you get along with other people? Because I couldn't feel, I didn't have any direction to go any other way. And at the end of week seven, we do the invitation. And it was back in the time in which people would come forward in the invitation and pastors would be at the front. I was the only one up at the front. And down the aisle, this woman came. She walked up to me and she said, I have created such damage in this church. I am leading a group of people who don't like the other people and I have been so wrong. And I'm coming to confess to you as my pastor that I've damaged Jesus's church by my attitude and I am asking for forgiveness and I would love, would you give me the ability to address the church? And I said, yes. Now I don't do that anymore, but I said, yes. So no need to ask me now because that, that, that ship has sailed. But at the very same time that she was coming down, down the other aisle, on the other side of the church, down came a man. It wasn't the older man, it was another man. He came down and when he came forward, he said to me, I'm coming to say to you, I have created damage in this church. I am leading a group against the other group. And I have been so wrong and I have wounded this church and I'm asking as my pastor you to forgive me. And I want to ask the whole church if they'll forgive me, would you let me speak? And I said, well, you'll have to take your turn. So I went back to the woman and she spoke and she did it eloquently and she was so humble. And she said to the church, I, I am at fault and I'm asking for your forgiveness and I'm asking for us to be one church. Amen. And I went to the other guy. He said exactly the same thing. I am at fault. I have damaged our church and I'm asking us to be one church. And when both of them had spoken, there, there were tears all over the church and I saw people get up from one side of the church and go to the other side of the church and hug somebody and I saw a revival. I saw for the first time in my life the greatest example of a revival breaking out in a church. So what happened after that, it's unbelievable. It was like the floodgates opened up. It was like everything had stopped 
this church, and suddenly it had been broken, and the church was alive, and it was open, and God was blessing it, and it was like the heavens pouring out the blessing of God upon that church, and a revival broke out. We started seeing people saved right and left. They'd hardly had anybody saved in years, and we started seeing people get saved right and left, adults coming to faith in Christ, families coming to the Lord, and that church went over the next nine years, it, be, it, was, it grew six times its original size at the, at the time of that moment, that service. It was like the floodgates just opened up. It's called revival. And this is what happens in our own lives when we come to church and we got broken relationships and I don't really care what anybody else thinks, this is what I think, and I am not gonna talk to that person we can stop our own church because the Bible says that if we are unwilling to forgive, God won't forgive us. Now, he's not talking about eternity. He is talking about fellowship and closeness. And God is saying that if you have broken relationships and you won't get them fixed, I will hold you at arm's length. But if you will open your heart and humble yourself and get those relationships fixed, I will pour out my blessings on you. If you are holding back in members of your family, you're wounding your family. If you're holding back in other people's lives, you're wounding the relationships. And this is why Jesus said, before you go to church next Sunday. As much as it depends on you, you get your relationships with other people fixed. You get ready to come to church next Sunday. The third thing is before you arrive, spend some time getting your heart prepared. I, I had the two greatest parents in the world who love God, live for God, and I got to watch that happen in front of my eyes. On the way to church, they would pop in their eight track, and that sure dates me. I mean, they'd pop in their eight track and listen to, listen to gospel songs, and they would sing. My mom could sing. My dad couldn't sing a lick. When, you, when he would sing a song, you wouldn't recognize it. It was like, where did you, where did you get that? The same words, but a tune that no one would ever put together for any song. But he didn't care. He was going to praise God. It wouldn't matter whether it made any sense to anybody else. And we would sing. And what we were doing was getting our hearts ready to meet God. We were preparing our hearts. And that's part of it. Before you arrive, spend some time getting your heart ready. Maybe it's singing as a family as you come. Maybe it's talking about how God has blessed you that week as you come. However it is for you, get your heart right before you get here. Here's the fourth thing. Before you arrive, pray for those leading the service and ask the Lord to reveal something to you today. So what I'm asking is, is that you pray for the people that are leading us in worship before you come as you're coming. Pray for them. Pray for those who are going to be speaking. Well, at our church, I don't know who is speaking. Then pray for everybody. Pray for them. I've had, I don't know how many of you that have said to me, listen, Mark, I pray for you and Kathy literally every single week, and I can't tell you how much that means to me. 
before you come, get your heart ready. That's the first thing. That is what it means to sanctify your heart and sanctify this holy place. There is a second thing. Preparation for worship requires remembering your, your audience. Remembering your audience. Who are you praising? Let me tell you, we are not the audience. You are not the audience. I'm not the audience. All of us are in the choir. There's only one who's the audience, and that is God. Only God. It's Kent Hughes, who's a former senior pastor at College Church in Wheaton, Illinois. Here's what he says. The unspoken but increasingly common assumption of today's Christianity is that worship is primarily for us to meet our needs. Such worship services are entertainment-focused, and the worshipers are uncommitted spectators who are silently grading the performance. Well, let's see. I think today I'm going to give you a seven. You tried hard. I, rec I recognize that, but I'm going to give you a seven this time. I hope you do better next week. Uh, really try to get ready and do better next Sunday because I'd love to give you an eight or eight, 8.5. In most churches, the people in the congregation are the audience and they're grading the people on the platform. That's what he's saying. Taken to the nth degree, the philosophy instills a tragic self-centeredness. That is, everything is judged by how it affects man, or meaning how it affects me. But that's not real worship. Colossians 3.16, listen to what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. What kind of singing does God like? Is it contemporary or is it traditional? God would like a Gregorian chant if it just came from your heart. He doesn't care about that. He just wants praise to come from your heart to him. You know, I told Tony, I don't like that song, and I asked him to get it off of the list of songs because I just don't like it, and here we are singing it again. I've gotta have a word with him because I only wanna sing songs I like. The difference between a Sunday morning spectator and a Sunday morning worshiper is that a spectator critiques and a worshiper is changed. So we're talking about worship. There's only one audience, and it's God. 
Psalm 101, verse 1. I'll sing of mercy and justice to you, O God. I will sing praises. Psalm 115, 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name. Give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. God, it's not about me. It's about you. I sing to you. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29. Give to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering, come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We will never experience life-changing worship as spectators. We never will. We will only encounter God when we come prepared and we recognize that God is the audience and we're the worshipers. That's right. That's right. Now let's bring this to an end and let's look. Going back to 2 Chronicles 29, 11, and let's look at what happens. This is the same Hezekiah. He's in front of the same people. He calls the priests and the Levites. And he has said to them, now go get your hearts, get the garbage out of your hearts, get the garbage out of this temple. Let's get ready for worship. And now notice what he says. My sons, do not be negligent now. For the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister to him. He's the audience. He's the audience. So here's what I'm saying to you. Before you come to worship next Sunday, get your heart ready. And when you come to worship, Know there is one audience, and it's not you. It's the Lord God Almighty. And God, I want to worship you, and I want to minister to you. And I join my voices with the other voices to say, God, I love you and want you. You can't worship God and reject his son at the same time. So the first thing I'm asking you to do is come to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You see, this holy, righteous God sent his son to the earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to rise again from the grave, to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. You'll never be good enough to go to heaven, no matter how hard you try. He did for you what you can't do for yourself. He died for your sins and mine. And then he rose again from the grave. And if we, by faith, will give our heart to Christ, I trust in Jesus alone for my salvation. I can't trust in myself because I'll never be good enough. I trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. If we are willing to do that, he'll come into our heart and save us and forgive us and cleanse us, and he'll begin to change us from the inside out. And there are those of you who are 
tuning in online, and maybe you've never given your heart to Christ, today is the day. And those that are in the chat host with you can help you know how you can make that decision on your own. But for all of our campuses, we have a Next Step Center, physical one, and you can go and talk to someone at the Next Step Center, and you can come to know Jesus as your Savior. And your life will be forever changed. It's little by little. It's like growing up as a little baby, but a spiritual baby. But you begin to change little by little. And I'm asking you today, would you allow Jesus to become the Lord front and center in your life? Because if you will, he'll start making you a brand new person. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today and we thank you. Lord, thank you for giving me enough voice to get to the end of this service. And I thank you for what you have done in my, in my life and our lives. And oh God, thank you for reminding us that we, we need to prepare. We need to sanctify ourselves. We need to prepare to come before you and that you are the audience. God, teach us how to worship with you as the audience. We love you, Father. We want you to be the center of our lives. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in us. Move in our heart, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.